The statements and views expressed on the Voices and Vulnerability podcast are those of the speakers alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of Emory University School of Law or its affiliate. Welcome to Voices and Vulnerability, where we interview the scholars shaping vulnerability theory in the legal world and beyond. We're here to learn about the transformational potential of vulnerability theory and how it is already shaping public policy and discourse around the world. I am your host, Mangala Kinesen. Today, I'm grateful to have Professor Hilo Karen here on the show as my guest. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Mangala. Hila Karen is Associate Dean of Research and Professor of Law at Southwestern Law School in LA. She has been associated with the Vulnerability and the Human Condition Initiative for many years now and is currently spearheading a symposium on vulnerability theory and LPE. Can you tell me a little bit about the project and the symposium? Of course, first of all, so good to see you in the middle of the pandemic. And uh, this project actually was heavily influenced by the pandemic. We were supposed to have a symposium at Yale. What attracted me among other things was the prospect of uh, hearing Wendy Brown talking at the end of this beautiful conference. And it was supposed to be a lot of fun with traveling. It was funded. It was really what an academic can dream about. However, then the pandemic hit and we were left hanging and the organizers reached out and asked, do you want to do something uh, about the ideas? Do you want to maybe do a blog or do a virtual symposium? So we opted for the blog idea. So it was a long end of time in the making. Everybody was really busy with the emergencies created by the pandemic. But what was really important for me personally was to create some kind of bridge and conversation between uh, the many scholars thinking within the umbrella of law and political economy and the many scholars that I know so well for many years of interacting and being active in the uh, vulnerability theory. I could see a lot of correlations between ideas, but I could also see how in the project of law and political economy, there is this inclination to make broad abstract statements. And I felt as if the vulnerability theory has so many concrete moves to take to make those ideals happen. So basically, and what both projects share, I think, is the realization of how terrible neoliberalism is for all of us, really how damaging it is, how people fail to see the shortcomings and how it all connects into, uh, we must fight that, we must change the way we see ourselves, we see, we see the world, we see uh, the state. So there is a lot of commonality in terms of broad goals, the tools are very different, or more precisely, my sense is that there is maybe a variety, undefined variety of tools in the law and political economy uh, projects. Some of them are very promising, but the vulnerability theory by now, after many years of thinking, is really polished and has some very effective tools, in my opinion. So the whole idea was to create a conversation about those two projects and how they connect and how they can, the, the vulnerability theory can actually supplement and help and maybe move forward the project of law and political economy. It was a collaboration. So I have to kind of uh, emphasize uh, that I'm not alone in this project. 
with, I'm working with Professor Martha McCluskey and uh, Professor Ronit Kedar. Uh, both of them I met at Invulnerability um, Project at their workshops. We became friends and uh, shared uh, the journey. So uh, the three of us um, talked about it a lot, planned ahead, and now wrote an introduction explaining what vulnerability theory is, and then uh, pieces one by one were released in the last two weeks. So your piece was just published on Monday, right? And it's called Resilience Drainage and the Role of Private Law. Can you tell me a bit about the idea of market-based resilience drainage and what you really explore in that piece? Yeah, um, yeah. So I wanna start by saying that one of the things that uh, connect me to the vulnerability theory is that it legitimizes looking at private law, the laws of the market in a different kind of a way and breaking or poking the wall between public law and private law. And many did it before, myself included, under the umbrella of feminism, because feminists have been arguing for a long time that the, private, the personal is political and private and public is not a good uh, division. And other theories have made this point too, but I think that my contribution to the symposium is to realize how much is going on under areas of law that usually we don't look at them. When we think about politics, we are public life, when we think about the state, we kind of tend to leave out laws like contract law, corporate law, and all those laws of the economy that can be named uh, private law. So my first um, move was, let's look at that. Let's look what's going on there. And from the vulnerability theory, I took the insight that without us noticing and accounting for it, the state is already giving a lot of resilience to some players in the market. We all want to think, uh, we love to think about Bezos and Bill Gates and all the heroes of the market as self-made men. And there are typically men. <laughs> and uh, we forget, people forget that they could not have done it all by themselves. And there is a whole system behind them that allows them not only to keep their money, but perpetuate and enhance all their resources. If you'll think about just the ability to act under a corporation, meaning that you take a lot of risks economically, but if it doesn't work, no one can come to your home and take your own private property. Why? Because corporate law defends you. The idea of limited liability and all the, um, the veil of the corporation and all that. So the first thing was to say, hey, the state is already giving resilience to some people. And those people tend to be strong business people who are incorporated. They are acting as big corporations, right, for the most part. And they get a lot of privileges and they become so strong that they can do things. So that was the first move, right? The private law is a really important zone, the law of the market. And there is already something going on in terms of resilience. People are getting resilience without us noticing that. And the second thing that I was really more worried about is that power given to some strong players of the market is sometimes, maybe oftentimes, uh, being abused. 
in the following way. Those big players shielded by being the big corporation, legal department, drafting carefully their contracts and all that jazz, those players are capable and will use the lack of resilience on of the weaker parties in the market. And my piece in the blog targets occasions in which this is being done intentionally. And that is the phenomena that I call resilience drainage, when there is a deliberate effort to use excessive resilience of the stronger parties to take away resilience from the weaker parties. They're already weaker, right? They're not incorporated. They don't have a legal department. Maybe they don't have a lot of money. But on top of that, there is a planning of taking steps uh, of uh, taking away even more of their resilience. So I give concrete examples. One example that I think everyone can uh, connect with is the idea of in all our contracts, when we have buy a cell phone, when we interact with our bank, with our credit card, even when we go to the doctor, we will see this long section that talks about arbitration. We think that maybe it's harmless, maybe we don't really fully understand that. But what corporations are doing there, they are taking away from us the ability to protect ourselves if we are being harmed. So if we are overcharged, for example, there is no way for us to do anything. One, we, are, we can't go to court because we have to go to arbitration. But the more serious thing is that we cannot come together. And that's something that is so basic to the human ability to cope with life and troubles. If I was charged $30 extra, I cannot do anything about it. No lawyer is going to take my case. The only path for me to protect my rights is to come together and collectively go with maybe a million people, all of them who suffered $30 damage. That will be a case that the lawyer will take to either court or arbitration. So in those sections of uh, all our long contracts that we cannot possibly read or understand, corporations deliberately take away from us this tool called class action of coming together and battling them. So in that way, they enhance their own resilience that skyrockets into no one can sue me ever. And it takes away from us this ability. The third and important step that I'm taking is to look at emotions in this situation, to point out that resilience is really also um, built from the way we can deal with things at the mental and emotional psychological level. And that by doing this to us, they don't only take from us the practical ability to sue them in court, but they teach us deliberately a lesson that we are helpless and powerless, and there is nothing we can do to them, not only this time when we're being charged my $30 hypothetical, but in any other case. And I point out that this problem of draining resilience through making people feel permanently helpless and powerless is something that the state cannot leave as is, that the state that awarded the privileges to the strong market players, 
the ability to incorporate, the ability to draft contracts must stop them from using those tools to actually drain and deplete the resources, including emotional resources of the people at the other side. So this is a state duty. That is a fascinating way of creating a, or of recognizing a state duty to really protect the mental and emotional um, state of its people. That's so interesting. Uh, have you written about this in this realm of emotions and emotional resilience and mental resilience before? Yes, actually, it's interesting. I think that this is initially what brought me into the vulnerability workshops many, many years ago with my then co-author, Professor Catherine Abrams from UC Berkeley. And we brought a piece that we were writing about emotional resilience and about the ability and duty of the law to cultivate positive emotions. So back then, we were thinking about the important emotion of hope. And we were uh, visiting uh, legal acts and legal institutions that actually can develop more hope in people that really need it in a practical way. So our definition of hope was not spiritual. It was really what you kind of motivates you and makes you believe you can actually improve your situation in life. So we entered the arena of vulnerability via the emotions. And, and basically my work is uh, much dedicated to bringing the recognition how intertwined law and emotions are. I'm one of the uh, co-founder of this critical approach to the law. Hey, we need to remember that there is impact over the emotions and that law always has this impact, but should be using it in a productive way and not in a harmful uh, kind of a way. So I would define myself in part as a law and emotion scholar, which itself goes back to feminism. So I, I must say how I see vulnerability and law and emotions, and in a way, law and political economy, although they might not admit that, related to the roots of feminism. So we are standing on shoulders of giants here. It's not as if anyone invented anything. So people have been arguing that that's not really human beings, what you are doing. The law is operating as if human beings have no emotions. And this is somewhat ridiculous, especially in the 21st century, where if you go to any bookstore, all the self-help books are telling you how the mind-body connection and your emotions matter so much. So how far behind can the law be? I want to be mindful of our time. We only have a few minutes left. I have one final question for you. It's actually two in one. Uh, what impact has your research already had and what changes would you like to see in the law or in the way that people think about it going forward? I'll take the question in the reverse order for one, because it's really difficult for one to speak about her own uh, impact. And so I really hope to see more attention to this vast arena called private law. I think a lot of the public problems we're having are actually rooted there. This is a law about relationship between people. They're buying and selling a used car, for example. But the duty to take into account what's 
the interest of the other party is something that we see now neglected in the context of wearing masks, in the context of having access to abortion, in many uh, issues in which we see it as a political issue. So my insistence is, hey, it's political all the time. It's political when we buy a smartphone and then lose all our rights and the ability to not care about our well-being in the very, very minute daily context of buying and selling stuff is just really extending itself to the arena that we acknowledge as being constitutional about human rights and all those important stuff. So it's really important for me uh, to have impact in this direction. And the other impact is to take all facets of human existence into account. And in this, um, by this, I do mean just taking emotions far more seriously. We are not the rational actors that the law assumes about us. So just to briefly visit the more embarrassing question that you asked me regarding impact, I've been working towards convincing as many people as I can that those issues are super important. Much with the help of the project of Martha Feynman and the vulnerability theory, which offers a great home for developing those ideas and later on to spread them via publications and other content. We've only got a minute left and I know you have to run. So I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. It was lovely to see you again. I really appreciate you. And thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. This has been an episode of Voices and Vulnerability. Expect a new episode every month. If you like what you heard here, you can find us on Twitter at VHC Initiative and on Facebook at Vulnerability and the Human Condition. You can find the blog piece that Professor Karen talked about in the episode description and at lpeproject.org slash symposia. Thanks for tuning in.